invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll title the message this morning, A Hope That Leads to Holiness. A Hope That Leads to Holiness. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be you holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be Ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of person judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot, who was, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead, and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask this morning... As we come now to this time of beholding wonderful things out of this book, your holy word. Father, we need your spirit. We need spiritual illumination. We need you to open up our mind's eye and our heart. And we need you to remove all distractions of the flesh from us so that we can see your holiness. And be moved by it. And be encouraged by it. And be strengthened in it. Father, as we want to be obedient to your command, your encouragement to be like you. And Father, we know that our flesh is weak and we know how hard that this is and how impossible that it is without you. So Father, I pray that you would use your word as you have ordained to do. Father, to strengthen, to convict, to encourage, to rebuke, to exhort, to instruct in righteousness, to perfectly equip each believer here unto all good works for your glory and the glory of Christ. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A hope that leads to holiness. We've already seen in 1 Peter that he has spent... The first part of this letter, grounding them 
in the foundation of their hope, which is going to strengthen them to be able to live a life through persecution and in the midst of an evil world. That they can have hope and that their hope can be a lively hope even in the midst of a dark world, even in the midst of a pagan culture, even in the midst of being persecuted for their faith. What kind of hope is that that will allow a person to think that way, to speak that way, and to live that way? That it doesn't matter what others are doing to me. It doesn't matter what others are doing in walking contrary to God, God and God's word. For me, my hope is in the Lord. And in Him will I trust. And these are the kind of believers that Peter is writing to, that he has on his heart. And so, just a quick recap. He has told them that God has chosen them by his sovereign grace. He told them, secondly, Jesus has paid the penalty for your sins by his obedience and sacrifice. Thirdly, he tells them that the Spirit of God has separated them out and has applied the merits of Christ to them so that the obedience of Christ and that the forgiveness that comes through Christ is currently theirs by regeneration, by the new birth, by being born again or born from above. And he goes on to tell them that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the Father and that your eternal Inheritance is being kept safe and secure in the arms of Christ, who is in the arms of the Father. And no one can pluck you out of his hand. Your eternity, your eternal security, your eternal inheritance is secure with Christ in heaven. And he is keeping it for you and he is keeping you for it. The Spirit of God, he told them fifthly, has given you the gift of faith. Given you the gift of faith so that while you sojourn here, while you're a stranger here in this world, while you're an exile here in this world, you can trust and believe and cling to the promises of God. And you have, given, you have been given faith to believe that your eternal home is being kept for you and that you are being kept by the power of God through this gift of faith unto salvation. Your salvation will be completed. And then he tells them that suffering, the suffering that they're going through, the current suffering that they're going through, is not a deterrent to hope. It's not as if, if while you're su- suffering, your hope goes down. He says, in fact, he says, your suffering should lead you to a greater hope. Because it means that God is using your suffering as a means to strengthen your hope, to strengthen your resolve, and to strengthen your understanding of how he's working all things together for your good. And then lastly, he says that you can have this hope because you have a great encouragement that all the prophets in all the Old Testament... And all the, the, the men and women of faith 
In in the olden days, they were looking forward to this time. They were searching diligently. They were inquiring about when the Messiah was come. And he said, even the angels themselves long to look into these things. And so you have something that is precious. Because the Old Testament saints, they gave their lives for it. They died believing in it. The prophets pointed to it, gave all their efforts in declaring about it. And the angels understand that this thing that that you have and that I have is so precious, they desire to hear about it and to look into it. And so that's that's a a good way to start out a letter. It's a good way to start out a, a, a message without ever giving a command, without ever giving an imperative verb. You just lay the foundation and say, Before we get into talking about how you should be living a life of holiness, let's first talk about what your hope is founded upon. Your hope is not founded upon your righteousness. It's not founded upon your works. Your hope is based on the foundation of the work of the triune God. Period. Now because of that, because the foundation is the triune work of God, that will lead you to a life of holiness. And that's what he says in verse 13. We get to the first imperative verb in this letter, which is hope to the end. Hope to the end. That is the command. That is the imperative verb. It is the main verb in the text. Hope fully. Hope to the end. And what does this hope lead to? What does this hope lead to? And what encourages and strengthens this hope? God wants your... Here's the proposition. God wants your hope to rest fully on His grace through the work of Jesus Christ, which will lead to a life of holiness as you worship the holy God. I'm going to repeat. God wants your hope to rest fully on His grace Through the work of Jesus Christ, which will lead to a life of holiness as you worship the holy God. And so we'll have four main points this morning. Number one, your hope is based on God's grace and not your works. Your hope is based on God's grace and not your works. Secondly, your hope should lead... To a holy life through godly fear. Your hope should lead to a holy life through godly fear. Third, we'll talk about hindrances to holiness. Hindrances to holiness. And then lastly, your hope is secured. Your hope is founded in the holiness of Jesus Christ. So number one, this is a call to be holy, as we just sang about. He is holy, we're beholding him who is the thrice holy God. And we're called to, in this text, to be holy as he is holy. Number one, though, your hope is based on God's grace and not your own works. Aren't you glad of that here this morning? That your hope of eternal life, your hope of eternal inheritance with God 
It's not based on what you have done. It's not based on what you have not done. It is based on the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ and the grace that is going to be brought unto you. Now, we've, we already understand that it's by grace that God chose us to salvation. It's by grace that the Spirit quickens us and applies the merits of Christ to us. It's by grace that we're being saved, that we're being kept through faith, ready for salvation. And it's going to be grace, Peter says, it's going to be grace that's brought to you when Jesus Christ comes back. And so it is all of grace. All of grace. And this is freeing for you and I because we can easily be entangled with fear-based behavior modification. Fear-based behavior modification, which is another term for legalism. And thinking that it's our behavior modification, which is usually based out of fear or punishment, that is the basis of our hope. Or that that's holiness. It's not. He says, wherefore, because of everything that I've said already, because the foundation of your hope is in the work of the triune God, because of that, therefore, or wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what you and I are to set our hope on, to set our hope on or in, is the grace that's going to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And if we want to be able to do that fully, then we pay attention to the other commands, which are, gird up the loins of your mind, and be sober and be holy as he is holy. If we do those things, we will be setting our hope fully on the grace of God that is to be brought to us. Another translation I like this puts it this way on this verse 13. So prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Isn't that beautiful? You're setting your hope on the grace that is to come. Therefore, you will prepare your mind for action to battle against sin that tries to rob you of your joy, that tries to get, get your focus off of the hope of the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you're going to be sober. The word gird up. We don't use that anymore in our current vernacular. But this was common for them in their day and time. And it is a metaphor derived from the practice of those in olden days who wore long, flow, long flowing clothes. Men, believe it or not, back in that time used to wear long garments. And they used to wear... Um, robes but when they were going to run or when they were going to do work or when they were going to go to battle they took these garments 
And they rolled them up and they put a belt around them. That's what it means to gird up the loins. We would use rolling up your sleeves today. He's saying roll up your sleeves and get ready for battle. Get ready to do work. Because, as he would say, uh, I think it's later on, or, yes, later on he would say, Your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's seeking all of you. He's seeking your heart. He's seeking your mind. He's seeking your will to devour you, to devour your faith, to destroy your faith, and get your mind off of Christ and off his word and off the hope. Of the grace that's to be brought to you. And you've got to roll up your sleeves. And be ready to do work. And to do battle. To guard against. Those things. So this is a. This is a rally cry. Gird up the loins. Of your mind. So he's saying that our minds. Can tend to be loose. Our minds can tend to be flowing out. In all directions. We don't have our minds guarded. We don't have them kept safe. They're leaking out into all these things. And he says, tie up the loose ends of your mind. It reminds me of what Paul says. Or whoever you believe says this. But that we are to remove every weight and every sin that does so easily beset us from running our race. You've got to get rid of every weight that is hindering you. You've got to get rid of every obstacle that's hindering you. By keeping your eyes upon Christ, by doing battle against sin. Who would you trust in more? Who would you believe is going to be more victorious in battle? Someone who has long flowing clothes and... and Long, long garments around their body? Or would you believe someone's going to be more victorious if they've got everything tied up and tight and there's nothing restricting their movements? Who do you think is going to be more victorious? The, per- the person who doesn't have the obstacles. So he's challenging them with this. Proverbs thirty-one seventeen, when talking about the Godly woman says she girds her loins with strength and strengthens her arms. A godly woman removes all obstacles from her being the woman that God has called her to be. And a godly man does the same thing. We have some examples of this language being used in the Old Testament. We don't have to turn there. But... In 1 Kings 18.46 and in 2 Kings 4.29, when it talks about someone who's going to be running, they, they say to them, gird up your loins, okay? Put a belt, put a belt around yourself so you can run faster and run quicker. Having, and then Paul says this in talking about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, having your loins girt about with truth. So when we're talking about girding the loins of our mind and we're talking about how do we do that, Paul says you do it with truth. Whatever's not true, whatever's false, gets left out of the mind. 
And so he encourages us. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report, think on these things. Right? Use your mind for those things. Things that are things that are impure, things that aren't lovely, things that aren't of good report. Outside. Cast them out and then put a belt, the belt of truth around your mind so that you will not listen to the lie of your selfish flesh and you won't listen to the lie of a sinful world and you won't listen to the lie of a lying Satan. Gird your mind, which includes the heart, your emotions stem from what is in your mind. So guard your mind and your emotions with the belt of truth. So if you're having improper emotions, it's because you're having improper thoughts and it's because they're not thoughts of truth. And so his encouragement is gird up those loose ends of your mind and be sober. That means to abstain, to be discreet, to watch and to be calm and collected in spirit and to be temperate. We got to be sober. If we're going to fight in a battle, if we're in a war, if we're going to if we're going to be able to set our hope on the grace that is to be brought to us and we're going to be holy as God is holy, we can't be intoxicated while we're doing it. We can't be drunk with the things of the world. You know, I use this one example of 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 being drunk, right? Being drunk, be sober. People who are intoxicated with alcohol are not sober-minded. They don't think straight. You've seen it. You've heard it. It's been made fun of, but it's sad. When you lose your ability to think and act correctly. But it's not just being intoxicated with alcohol. It's being intoxicated with sin. It's being intoxicated with what pleases us instead of what pleases the Father. And so that can be entertainment, media. It can be even education incorrectly. It can be uh, even relationships. You can be intoxicated in a relationship where you're not thinking clearly and you're not thinking, you're not thinking sober-mindedly. You're not thinking with the truth. You are wrapped up in, in that. And it is leading, leading you to make all kinds of wrong decisions. You're not going to be holy as he's holy as long as you're intoxicated in your sins. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Please turn there with me. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We went through this. But this is another encouragement to you. We're hoping, we're setting our hope on the grace that is to come. We believe that that's, he's coming soon. We, we believe that Christ could return at any moment. The day of the Lord is nigh. The day of the Lord is at hand. He says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.1. But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves... Know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. 
For when they shall say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction comes upon them as travail upon the woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Let us watch and be sober. Let us be diligent. Let us us abstain from the darkness of this world so that we can be alert. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunk are drunk in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Be sober. Be vigilant. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand all the fiery darts of Satan. The only way you and I are going to be holy is first of all, if we're born again and have the Spirit of God in us. But secondly, is we've got to do battle with the flesh. And that's why there's so many commands in, in Paul's letters and in, in, in the other writings. To put on as the elect of God and put off as the elect of God. Put on the new man, put off the old man, put on the new man, put off the old man. He says it in every letter. The fruits of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit is this, but the works of the flesh are this. Be led by the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Peter saying the same thing. Gird up the loins of your mind. Tighten up everything. And watch and be diligent. And consecrate yourselves so that you can fully or hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to be able to do. Every day I want to be able to have a full realization of the expectation that I have that Jesus Christ is bringing me all the grace in the world. Secure in Him. And He's giving me the down payment of it and He's bringing the full inheritance with Him. Paul says a beautiful thing in Colossians chapter 3. Talking about putting on the new self. He says, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. That's the grace that is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then, so what does he say after that? This is your life's hid with Christ. He's in heaven. He's going to be bringing that to you. He's going to be giving you that, the glory that he has. What does he go on to say? Put to death. Kill the flesh. 
Because it's robbing you of the joy that, that, that you should have in, in preparing for that. It's robbing you of, of you being useful for the master's service. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication and cleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, which, for which things sake the wrath of God comes on the children of of disobedience in which he also walked some time when you lived in them. Which is what Peter goes on to say, right? And number two for us this morning, your hope should lead to a holy life through godly fear. Your hope should lead to a holy life through godly fear. As you're hoping in the grace to the end that's going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, This hope should lead to a holy life in godly fear. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust of your ignorance. Here's another translation. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. You see... Before you were born again, you just sinned. You just did whatever you pleased. And you didn't know any better except for what your parents told you and what you heard preached. But you didn't really know it. You didn't really understand it. You really didn't believe it. But once you're born again, you are convicted of your sin. You understand the heinousness of your sin. You understand the love that God has for you and the love that you have for Christ. But what we're tempted to do is even after that is to go back into our old ways. And we can and do. But not without being disciplined. Not without being miserable. And certainly not for long periods of time. Fashioning yourselves according to. That means to conform oneself, one's mind and character to another pattern. Paul's saying, don't be like the world. Don't follow the world's system. Don't follow the world's patterns. Don't don't assimilate with the world. Don't be conformed to the world. Be conformed to Christ. Be conformed to the image of Christ. Be conformed to His Word. And let His Word conform you and transform you. Sounds like what Paul said in Romans 12. I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you because of the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Same thing. Paul's saying the same thing as Peter. They're, they're in unity in this. How are we going to be holy? Number one, negatively, by not being conformed to the world. By not listening to our flesh. And by putting to death the deeds of the flesh. But then positively, we have to get our eyes off of ourselves. We have to... Put off the old man. And then we have to put on the new man. 
We have to be renewed in the new man, renewed in righteousness, renewed in holiness, renewed in purity. He says, when you did these things, they were you were ignorant. I didn't say you were ignorant. The text said you were ignorant. But you're not ignorant anymore. And when it speaks of ignorance, it's not talking about education. It's talking about moral blindness. You are morally blind. Don't go back to that ignorance anymore. Whenever we sin, we are foolish. Whenever we sin, we are ignoramuses. Because we're literally like the dog that goes back and eats the vomit as it says in Proverbs. That's disgusting. That's vile. But that's what it looks like when the children of God sin. And so if we're going to be holy as He's holy, we can't do that. As obedient children, as obedient children, you are a child of the King. You're a child of this holy God. He calls you His daughter. He calls you his son. You're in his family. And there's nothing more that parents want for their children for them to represent them well. Especially when you go out in public. <laughs> Please don't pitch a fit. Please don't throw a tantrum. Please don't yell and scream at each other. If we do it at home, we can take care of it. But you do it in public, then it looks bad on the family. It looks bad on the name. Of course, that's not what we should care about ultimately. We should care about their hearts. And God, he, he cares about both his name, his glory. He says, don't take my name upon you in vain. He cares about his name. He cares about his glory. But he also cares about your heart. And see, he knows that sin does two things. It darkens your heart. And it robs him of his glory. The glory that you should be giving to him. Not that he's any less glorious. But you're glorying of him. You're magnifying of him. And so we want to be as obedient children to our father. You see, obedience is out of love. It's out of filial love. It's, out, it's, out, it's the fear that we talked about in our Bible study. It's synonymous with love. It's synonymous with hope. It's a godly fear. It's a filial fear. It's not a slavish fear. It goes on to say that we should, we should live our life out in fear. In reverence. In awe. In wonder. In astonishment. That a holy, holy, holy God loves us and has accepted us. And that we're part of his family. Children that are loved and accepted and treated as they should be will want to obey their parents. But when, when children are treated harshly, when, when ch children are belittled, when children are disciplined in the wrong way, when they're not accepted and loved, that's when we push them away. That's when they rebel.
But think about your Father in heaven. Does He ever treat you harshly? Does He ever belittle you? Does He ever act out in anger when you sin? No, He's full of compassion. He's full of grace. He's full of love. He's full of acceptance. He puts your arms around you when you fall. And He takes care of you. And He gets you back up on your feet. He loves you unconditionally. And so we should desire and want to be holy like our Father. And so we'll be willing to put to death the deeds of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. John says in 1 John chapter 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are not from the Father, but they are of this world. And the world is passing away. But whoever does the will of God, whoever pays heed to the word of God, will abide forever. So don't be conformed to this world. But when our hope is set fully on the grace of God, it will lead to a life of holiness. Not out of slavish fear, but out of godly fear, out of filial fear. What are some hindrances to this holiness? What are some hindrances, number three, to this holiness? Well, I think we've scratched the surface on some of them. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life kind of is the umbrella. It sums up everything. But what does that look like in your, work, in your everyday life? Well, what do you think about What are you listening to? What are your eyes viewing? What are you saying? How are your emotions being affected by what you're thinking and what you're hearing and what's being said within your heart? And we're told in Proverbs, guard, protect the heart. Because out of the heart, Flow all the issues of life. Or all the issues of life. And so what are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you reading? You know, we talk about these things all the time, but this is what makes up our day, right? What makes up your day is, what do you think about? What do you listen to? What do you do with your hands? What do you do with your feet? How are your emotions moved? And so, if our eyes and our ears are viewing things and listening things that are unholy, how do you think that's going to affect us? And so, it does matter. It does matter what we watch. It matters what we listen to. It matters what we read. It, remi- it, it matters um, how we speak and where we go. And so, are, are the things that you're thinking about, listening to, Uh, watching, talking about, are they hindrances? Are they hindering you? Are they weights and sin that is besetting you from running your race and following the loving command to be holy, to be separate, to be separated? 
to be whole or complete? Are these things hindering you or are they helping you? Are they leading to a more holy life, a more godly life? That's our daily struggle. That's our daily battle. And that's why he says you've got to roll up the sleeves. Because your flesh is fighting against you. The flesh is weak, even though the Spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. The world has nothing to do with this. No concern or care for the holiness of God. No care or concern for the holiness of God's Word. No care or concern for your holiness and what, what, what you want to do. The world is doing their own thing. They're morally blind and morally corrupt. And they want to influence you. They want to influence your mind. They want to influence your heart. They want to influence your will. And as Brady said, there's thousands of advertisements every day that's screaming out to you, follow me, follow us, and you'll be happy. And so the loving command to be holy as I am holy, it is to keep your eyes, keep your mind, keep your heart, whatever else is included, keep it all on God and viewing His holiness. And if you do that, if you keep your eyes on a holy God and meditating upon Him, it's going to make you holy. It's going to make you holy. Just recently in the past year, I stopped drinking uh, sugar drinks. You know, I had to make one change and start there. Hopefully I'll make other changes. But I stopped drinking sugar drinks, except for sweet tea on occasion. But this is what I noticed. After a while of stopping to drink sugar drinks, whenever I do have a sugar drink, like I had some of Emma's lemonade from Chick-fil-A yesterday. Sorry, I didn't tell you about that. Uh, What I noticed is that it was really sweet. I mean, I I noticed the sweetness of the lemonade. Even over the, the, the lemonness of the lemonade. Right? What I noticed was the sweetness. And to me, now, it tastes bad. Which is weird, right? It doesn't have sugar, and now it tastes weird. It tastes bad. And that's the way it is with you and I. Now, when we sin, it tastes bad. And when we drink holiness, it tastes good. It feeds the soul. It encourages the soul. It lightens the mind. But when we sin, it darkens the soul. It tastes bad. And it has a bitter taste. It has a bitter taste. Even though at first it may seem sweet, yet it is bitter. And so you have to to decide. You have to, I can't tell you what they are, but you have to know what are the stumbling blocks. You have to know what are the sins and the weights in your life. And you know what they are. We're just not willing to remove them. Sometimes we would rather run with the weights on our back. Sometimes we would rather walk with dark darkness instead of in the light. And that's foolish. That's foolish. That's vain. And then lastly, thank God your hope is connected, is secure in the perfect holiness of Jesus Christ. You know, I love what Peter does here, and this is, we're going to close in looking at this. But you know, he's, he's laid the foundation of their hope. Now he's saying, this, this is your active hope. 
currently as you live out the rest of your days here in life you're to set your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you and he's encouraging them to holiness and then we read that and we say I can't be holy as, as God is holy that's impossible when we talk about the holiness of God we're talking about his transcendence we're talking about his otherness and God, in that sense God alone is holy He alone is transcendent. He alone is is like no one else. Like no one else. We can't be like that. But we can be in this way separate from sin. We can separate ourselves from sin. We can consecrate ourselves. We cannot fashion, we can not be fashioned or conformed by the world, but we can conform ourselves to the word of God. And in that sense, you can be holy. But here's the great encouragement for you is that even though you're encouraged to do that and it's for your joy, and even though you're not going to do it perfectly, your hope is not based on your holiness. And the rewards that are coming to you. It's not based on your holiness. The rewards that Christ is bringing with Him is based on His holiness as we gather together after lunch and we keep the communion. Remember, your hope is in the holiness of Christ. And because of that, you want to be holy as he is holy. This is what he says. If you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, your vain way of life, received by tradition from your fathers. But what were you redeemed with? What is your hope in? The precious blood of Christ, the holy blood of Christ, the pure blood of Christ, the transcendent blood of Christ, the otherness of the blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Jesus was without sin and perfectly obedient. Your acceptance is based on his perfect obedience and sinless life. He has been your Redeemer since before the world was made. But He redeems you in time. He came and redeemed us by His blood in time. He rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, and is all glorious. He has all glory in heaven and in earth. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the Lord our righteousness. So what he says, right? Who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory. Oh, the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days came and he ascended up into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God and there were shouts of hallelujah. There were shouts of praise because Jesus Christ finished the work of the salvation of sinful men and women. 
and redeem them by his blood out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue. And he's calling them out one by one. He's calling them out. And he's conforming them to his image. And then he's going to call them to glory or he's going to bring glory to them. And gave him glory that your faith, your faith and hope might be in God. Not in yourself, not in your works, but in God. Your hope, my hope, is based on the holiness of Christ. And that hope leads to a life of holiness.